Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ of St. Paul, located in Matamidi, Minnesota. We are a suburban congregation united in Christ and grounded in the values of diversity, solidarity, and witness. You can learn more about us by going to fccstpaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. from today comes from Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. You can find it in the bulletin. Once again, let us listen to these words that are familiar. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing and at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. And the devil said to him, you are the Son of God. Command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all its authority. For it has been, been given over to me. And I gave it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem and placed him on a pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is said, do not put the Lord God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until a more opportune time. This ends this reading of this holy word. May it be good news to us. It has been cited that Blaise Pascal once wrote in a letter I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. 
the reality of this is that it's easy to write but hard to edit. And in this way, I want to open with an apology. I would have written you a shorter sermon, but I didn't have the time. Reading scripture in a time of trauma and tragedy, that is what we are called to do in this moment, to make sense of what seems to be senseless, to understand what can never be understood. Sometimes people look at scripture as the answer book. Yet, if you sit and read the text, it can be more challenging. Often, we read scriptures to seek comfort from the uncomfortable questions as opposed to the comfortable answers. In a time of uncertainty, it is powerful to be in conversation with voices who have lived in other times and other places of uncertainty and see how they struggled with the same questions we ask. This scripture passage from Luke led me to explore Shirley Guthrie's Six Virtues for Interpretation, which I believe is crucial if we are to make sense of how we read scripture in a time of tragedy. The lesson led me to explore Guthrie's, what I call the Bible says so, test. When we read this passage, it's interesting. We have three temptations. The first two are kind of unique because scripture is used by Jesus to refute the temptation. But it's the third one that is challenging to me because in the third one, the devil uses the scripture to justify the temptation. It's interesting when we see this, that we hear within the text itself a call to critique the text itself, which is unique, I would say, to many religions. At some core reality, the text is challenging us not to just use the text to prove what we know is the sin of proof texting, where we read only parts of the Bible that we like because we think it supports our understanding. This leads me to Shirley Guthrie's The Bible Says So text or test. Shirley Guthrie, who was a Reformed Presbyterian theologian and scholar and professor, 
wrote a book called Christian Doctrine. In one of the earliest chapters, he talks about interpretation. And he lays out a test, which I'm going to explore. But he also lays out what I think is really important, six virtues for interpretation. And I want to, as briefly as I can, describe or even sketch them out for you. But before we do that, we have to understand how Shirley Guthrie understood the challenge that underlies the concept of interpretation. In this, he writes, quote, First, there is always a danger we will find in the Bible only what we want to take out of it, what we will be used to confirm what we already think and what we already will hear, what we want to hear. Then Shirley goes on to briefly describe two historical moments in Christian history where this happened one with the support of Nazism, the other with the support of slavery. Then he says something I think is really profound. He says, and I quote, mean people usually find a mean God in the Bible. Superficial people usually find a superficial God Comfortable people, powerful people usually find a Bible that supports their social and political conservatism. Poor and exploited people usually find that it supports social and political re reform or revolution. The final part of the problem of interpretation, Shirley goes on to ask the question, how do we stop using the Bible to excuse our own prejudices? Then he lets out what I would consider are the six virtues of interpretation. Shirley Guthrie sees that to interpret scripture rightly requires us to read the text in context. Shirley Guthrie sees that we should use scriptures in a way not to exclude other sources of truth, but as ways of respecting the purpose of the Bible, where we learn about God and how we live into that faithful presence with God. Shirley writes that Christians should not have an arrogant belief about their Christ, that in Christ all answers get answered, but that we use the text to help inform our understanding He writes, quote, 
we read the Bible rightly when we read to learn about who God is and how we may faithfully live into God's presence. That is the first virtue. Reading in a way that respects the purpose of the text. The second virtue is having scripture interpret itself. When we encounter, quote, when we encounter passages that are hard to understand, we can look to other passages that throw a different light or more light on the question at hand. This leads to what I call his, the Bible says so test. And I quote again, this rule also means that we must learn to listen to the total witness of Scripture, not just a selective passage that supports what we already think or already want to hear. Anyone who says the Bible says this or that, is that all the Bible says? Or have you only picked passages to support your own ideas and preferences? What other passages might give a better and fuller understanding of what the Bible message is? Here is that test. It's a two-pronged test. One where you ask the question, where in the Bible does it say? This may seem to be an odd thing when people start saying, well, it says in the Bible. But then when you ask them, well, where does it say in the Bible? Mark, I don't know. It gets, there's an awkward silence. But even when they can pull out a text and use it, it can be challenging. Because... While you might have a valid claim there, is that all the Bible says about this matter? Which then asks the question, are there other texts that could help inform our understanding or maybe even challenge or contradict that so we look to a wider truth? to give a more fuller understanding. This is crucial. It's about context. Now on to the third principle or virtue, which is the Christological principle. In this Guthrie writes, Jesus Christ is the clearest revelation of who God is and what God promised and wills for our faithful Christian life. Earlier on, he states about Christian Christ and Christian theology does not mean that at every point we must let all our ideas Feelings, experience, be examined, measured, judged, and interpreted by the problem, the question, the mystery, 
of who he is and what he does. It's interesting when you look at that last part about the centrality of Christ, that Christ becomes the problem, the question, and the mystery as much as the answer in and of itself. And this is important to understand. To just use scripture to look for Christ is important, but it also is to inform and to live with the uncertainty of what that means in our life. To, now, on to the fourth rule of, or virtue, which is the rule of faith. Again, quoting, We interpret scripture rightly when we do not try to interpret scripture by ourselves. As if we were the first to ever ask what it means, seeking the guidance of God's spirit. Faithful Christians before us and other faithful Christians in the church around us have also struggled to understand and to be led, and we should listen to them with respect. When we read the scripture, even when we're locked in a room all by ourselves, we do not read the scripture alone. We read the scripture in God's presence. To understand what scripture is, is to understand how that scripture has lived throughout the history of the church. How it has informed our faith and how it has informed those who've come before and those who will come after. We do not read scripture alone. We read it in conversation with those who've read it before. And now we come to the fifth virtue. I'll submit to you today, this is the hardest. For it is the rule of love. The rule of love demands to interpret scripture so that the faith may never be justified in harming others. Shirley Guthrie goes on to say, the rule of love, an often forgotten rule, this is the one based upon fact that the fundamental expression of God's will is a twofold commandment to love God, and to love neighbor. In some ways, this feels like it should be the easiest one. It's the one we grew up with. It's the one that everyone wants to say, but God is love. Yeah. After these past 11 days, I come to question that. I come 
concerned about that. What does that mean? When one neighbor chooses to harm another neighbor, what do we do in the midst of evil that is clearly present in this world? It is not easy just to turn around and say, well, when we see governments take elderly women who have survived the Holocaust, who are peacefully protesting against the war, and lock them away, when we have children as young as seven years old who simply put flowers at an embassy get locked away for three years because of an injustice. We cannot say that is okay. We have to be clear and say this is wrong. There's a righteous anger that burns within you once you realize that. You cannot stand idly by. You have to commit in a clear and distinctive voice and say, we will not let this happen. But here's the trick. In the midst of this evil, that rains down. We need to understand it is only here for a day. And when we have the opportunity to move toward a better way, we have to take it without question. The image here I have is of the Russian soldiers who turn themselves in and the Ukrainian people who offer them bread and food and an opportunity to talk to their parents. That is what justice is. That is what justice looks like. We should always seek forgiveness and reconciliation in the midst of a knowledge that we may have to use violence to attain it. And we should always, always, always seek forgiveness. To quote Guthrie again, an interpretation of scripture is wrong when it shows indifference or contempt to any individual or group inside or outside the church. All right interpretations reflect the love of God and the God love of God's people, of all kinds of people everywhere. Everyone is included. No one is excluded. It's not easy. And that's why we know we need to rely on God and God alone. The final 
is that we need to study scripture in its literary and historical context. Notice a common three common principle between all these virtues, which is studying scripture in context. Here, Shirley Guthrie cites what is known in the Presbyterian Church as the Declaration of Faith. These are documents that the church, the Presbyterian Church, looks to, to inform us of our faith. And we do that by claiming that in a particular time and place, people in the church have faced problems that we are facing today, and they have written documents that can help inform us understand what Scripture says. They are not Scripture, but they can help inform us. To this, he cites the brief declaration, or the Declaration of Faith. Quote, God has chosen to address his inspired word through a diverse and varied human writings. Therefore, we use our best available methods to understand them in their historical and cultural setting and in the literary forms in which they are cast. Again, I want you to hear that concept of reading in context. To understand, to interpret scriptures in times of trauma and tragedy is to understand that we use, we read scripture in a variety of ways so that we can see how it was generated, so that we can make sense of our own chaotic and traumatic times. Because they once had the same profound nature to this time and place. There are people in the past who struggled with the same questions we asked. Who've asked the hard questions as we must ask. And scriptures is that story of them asking and God responding and God's faithfulness to them. The scripture and what is the great comfort that is not that we come away with some easy answers. Actually, we will be puzzled as much we need to get comfortable with that puzzlement because we know that people in the past have also been puzzled. They also have struggled and come at the end of the day to interpret scripture is about putting it in context, both to the centrality of Christ, but into a variety of voices. While no one sees any one of these virtues as the ultimate answer or the ultimate way to get an answer, in conversation with these six virtues, we can grow away, we can grow to understand more fully 
the revelation that is set apart from us and beyond us, yet within us and with us. May it be so for us. Amen. 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 We hope today's sermon podcast was nourishment to your soul. If you'd like to know more about First Christian Church of St. Paul, please visit our website at fccstpaul.org. That's F-C-C-S-A-I-N-T-P-A-U-L dot org. May God be with you in the coming week.